Now, some of you may have seen this basket up here and wondered if we were a snake handling church. Uh, we are not. These guys coming down the aisle here, they're going to give you a card. Uh, just uh, put it aside for a moment, if you would, when you get it. It'll play an important role in the service as we near the end. So we appreciate these guys doing that. Well, it's been good to be here today, hasn't it? It's been awesome service. We thank God for our praise band and the power of the Holy Spirit. And we missed being with you last week. I bring you tidings from Luca, my grandson, and the whole state of Texas. We say hello and we missed you guys. I did learn after watching the video from last week's sermon that I've been greeting you improperly. I've been saying good morning, East Point. I should just be saying sup. Right? Yeah. Appreciate so much Pastor DJ handling the service last week. And I heard things went so well, people were asking me to stay away a couple more weeks. So uh, anyway, I appreciate so much all the Lord is doing at East Point. It's been an exciting time. If you're a guest here today, we are in a series called More Than Conquerors. Today's lesson is largely responsible. This, this thought we're going to deal with about addictions is largely due to or largely responsible for this thing being developed, this whole series. I'll tell you why. A few weeks back, although the Lord had been laying several things on my heart, we had some people fill out special prayer cards. Remember that? And we turned them in and we had a day of prayer out here at the church on a Saturday. And we came in and we prayed uh, it was a 12-hour fasting prayer time for the church, and I came in, as many others did, and the prayer, the prayer requests were all laid out on this altar. And I was amazed that going from end to end, as I did and many others were doing, I'd start at one side, look at the card and pray over it and put it down, pick up another one. There were several, several meaning a lot more than just a few, that had some sense of a prayer request related to drugs, particularly heroin was named, heroin as something that a family member of our church was dealing with. Yeah. And as I looked at this and read this, I thought to myself, you know, this is, this is something. We, we have to stop and take a look at this. Not just family members of our church people, but our church people. Now, let, let's, let's, get beyond, uh, uh, let's get beyond thinking that God's people have trouble with addictions. We do. We have that. You agree? Now, now some more than others. And so this message is designed hopefully to help, not to make you feel bad, not to hurt you. Uh, but if we don't deal with things and confront things and we can't really uh, do anything about it so that we can return to a level of victory in our lives and being the conquerors that God has told us we are. He said that in Romans chapter 8 and verse 37, yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. There are many types of addictions as we talked about already this morning. We've heard uh, testimony of all sorts and some, as, uh, ser some are serious, uh, some are less serious but still destructive. Uh, gambling, alcohol, drugs, both legal and illegal, uh, meaning prescription, all forms of sex or immorality addictions, whether it be sexting or pornography uh, or adultery and fornication, all those terms. Tobacco uh, is another one. Gossip, believe it or not, is a horrible addiction. Overeating, that's often one that we leave out, particularly in churches with Baptist backgrounds. <laughs> overeating, lying, stealing, all these things are uh, addictive. Even computer and phone use. By the way, if your phone is with you, please make sure it's off uh, during the service. Um, I, I met a young lady the other day that had scars all up and down her arm. Beautiful young girl and she was waiting on me at a place and she had been cutting herself. It was very obvious and now scarred over. Hopefully all of that is over and done with now and she's no longer continuing any of that. There's so many things. Video games can be addictive. There's so many things. Work can be addictive. I read something uh, this past week about a man that uh, was addicted to drinking brake fluid. Uh, he was quoted as having said he could stop at any time. Uh. 
That's the last funny thing I'm going to say. I'm just saying. That really didn't happen. That would kill you. <laughs> if you're a guest here today, they don't get better. Forget it. You, uh, you might need an explanation for the difference between three terms. So let me take a moment and, and mention these to you and then let you know where we're going today. And then we're going to ask God to bless us again. We're going to pray. Three terms, habits, compulsions, addictions. I must say to you that I, these may overlap in our thinking and in this message today. Some have said that uh, uh, a, a habit is a more or less fixed way of thinking, willing or feeling acquired through previous repetition of mental experience. You can be habitual about uh, setting your alarm clock at, at night before you go to bed. Compulsions. Compulsions are defined by the American Journal of Psychology as uh, a, repetitive, uh, a repetitive behavior or mental act that a person feels driven to perform in response to an obsession. Some people have uh, compulsions of cleaning and arranging and rearranging. If you go to my office, you'll know that that's not my compulsion, uh, but uh, keeping things in order. And then we have the term addiction. Addiction is uh, defined as... We'll bring that up on the board for us. Thank you so much. A compulsive need for or use of a substance or behavior that is habit-forming and is by its nature self-destructing. And so we need to understand, we're not talking about being addicted to good things here. We're talking about the type of addictions that cause self-destruction. So let's pray together. Father, we come to you today, Lord, and we are so very grateful for the opportunity you've given us to be in your house. And Lord, we are addressing a subject today that um, many probably uh, don't want to hear about. And yet, Lord, it is so needed, so necessary. And Lord, as you look down on us, I know that maybe to ourselves as we look around, we think everybody's good, Lord. No, no problems could exist in our lives, not in the people, not in our brothers and sisters of Christ. And, and Lord, not in your church here at East Point. Surely there's nobody that has any problems, or, but we know that's not true. We know, God, that, that part of getting together like we do is, is just a matter of helping each other out to live the Christian life and that none of us are perfect and we all have problems and struggles and some have made it through some struggles and they can share with others how to do it. But God, we pray for your love and mercy to abound and your forgiveness to be present today for the work of the Holy Spirit to do what only he can do. And God, I pray he'll be personal and powerful in Jesus' name, amen. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to approach, if you want to go ahead and write down on your study sheet, the three main points we're going to look at, okay? We got a ton of uh, sub points, but if you want to write these down, we're going to talk about the origin of addictions. We're going to talk about the outcome of addictions, and then we're going to close out with the overcoming of addictions. We've already defined it for you, so let's take a moment and ask ourselves this question, uh, where do they come from? How do they develop in our lives? That's a fair question to ask. I've got uh, four blanks on your study sheet for you. If you want to fill in some of those as we go, I think that would be great. We're going to start with the word family. Let's start with family. Let's assume for a moment that you have some addictions that have developed because of family circumstances. Not everybody came from a functional home. Many people come from dysfunctional homes. But let me just say this to you. Whether you have been forsaken by a parent, left all alone, or whether you have gone through some horrible times in your life, abusive even situations in your life, we may look at that and say, this might be how I developed this, this sense of wanting to escape this, this uh, addiction that has developed in my life. But let me just share this with you. I think it's important. Rick Warren made this statement that you may be a product of your past, but you do not have to be a prisoner of it. Those of you that grew up without a male influence in your life, maybe dad left you and, and maybe that's part of the problem that you're dealing with. Let me, let me remind you of Adam. Adam had no earthly dad. So he looked to God and God was a dad to him. You say, what do you deal? I'm saying there's all kinds of examples in the scripture. How about Abraham, who did have an earthly dad, but his dad was an idolater. He worshiped idols right in front of him. No doubt tried to lead him to do the same. But Abraham became a man called the friend of God. The friend of God. 
I'm telling you that no matter your circumstance and no matter the difficulty, you can overcome those things through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's important we understand this. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't have self-esteem issues. It doesn't mean that at all. You might very well. And, and the Holy Spirit has a way of bringing security to those of us who are insecure. We, I'm, not, I'm not trying to erase the fact that, that there are reasons we could point to and there are problems maybe with our family and our upbringing that we could say, this is why I do what I do. What I'm trying to say is there's a difference in saying this is what may have generated this, what we think is a need in our life, but on the contrary, we don't have to do that. We don't have to be a prisoner to those things. We can overcome those things. The second word that I'd like for you to write down is friends. Parents, believe it or not, particularly parents of our teenagers. If you are a parent of a teenager, would you raise your hand, please? Let's keep these folks in, the, in our prayers. <laughs> I love our teens. I really do. But being a teenager, man, is, is tough today. They got all kinds of friends influencing them. And whether you know it or not, parents, you may think you are the most influential person in their life, but you are not. You know who is, is their friends. You know that old saying? If all your friends jumped off of a cliff, would you? The answer is yeah. Yeah. I did. 55 foot in college outside Springfield, Missouri. All my friends did it. The answer is yeah. You say, what are you getting at? I'm saying this, that you might think that you're the most influential person, but their friends are. Now, young people, you need to listen to this, and this is important. You've got to make up your mind just where your boundaries are and whether you're going to be the one leading them or you're going to be the one following them. Now, the Bible deals with this. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 33, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Another version says bad company corrupts character. You say, what are you getting at? Some of your friends are going to introduce you to stuff that you don't want to be a part of. You don't need to be a part of, but you're going to try to do some of those things. Hopefully, you ever thought about this as a church? I'm sure you probably have, but maybe it's not been brought to your attention this way. I don't know. You ever thought about all the ministries that a church has and you look at the resources that are pumped into youth? Why do churches do that? Huh? Why do we invest in a youth pastor? And why do we invest thousands of dollars every year for youth camp? And, and, and why do we have activities on a regular basis for teenagers? Because they're at such a pivotal time in their life. They can start right now habits that will ruin their life, addictions that will ruin their life. And if you can get them through those very difficult times, if you can teach them, listen, young people, if you can develop discernment. Yeah. Discernment. Parents, one of the greatest things in the world you can do is pray for your child to have discernment. Know when to say no. Know when that you stand up. Know when to stand up and say, that's not me. I don't do that. I'm a born-again believer. I'm not going to start that. If I do not start that, I don't have to worry about giving it up. Right. <laughs> Friends. I've been uh, shocked from time to time in my life to hear that a parent, even within a church, has taken a child, a young person who turns 21, out for their first drink. I want to be kind, and so I don't want to call that person an idiot, but... It's implied. Now, I'm sorry if that offends anybody. It's just not wise. Just not wise. I ask you a question. Is 21 the age that you sit that young person down in the living room and you let go a rattlesnake onto the floor in front of them and say, here, play? Is that what you do? Is that good parenting? At any age? Is that it? Is that? You say, oh, that's ridiculous. Is it really? It's just as deadly. See, the point is we don't often think about what we're doing and we don't understand that sometimes, I'm telling you, family and friends, they can influence us in a negative way. And somewhere, if you're dealing with an addiction, it started. It started. It had its beginning. 
Then there's the flesh. That's the third word that you need to put in the blank. The flesh has an appetite. The Bible tells us in the book of Joshua, there was a guy named Achan. You remember Achan? Remember Achan was part of the Israeli army that marched in and defeated Jericho and they were not supposed to take any of the spoils because the spoils belonged to God. God brought the victory. God was to be honored. But Achan did something. The Bible tells us in verse 21 of Joshua 7, when I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver, a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. And there they are hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent with the silver under it. I saw, I coveted, I took. The flesh. The flesh has an appetite. There are certain things within our flesh that, that we desire. That given the opportunity, the flesh will go after. And we have to understand and recognize it as the flesh. The same thing could be said of David. That morning that David went out on the, uh, on the rooftop and he looked down and saw Bathsheba. That was an illustration that Pastor DJ used last week with you. The same thing could be said. I saw I coveted, I took. If we remove the seeing part, then we can help out with the coveting part and the taking part. Amen? Amen? But nonetheless, the flesh has an appetite. And we need to ask ourselves whether we're aware of that. And then, of course, you probably guessed the fourth word, which we're just going to use the word foe. We have an enemy. And that enemy is the devil. That enemy is our adversary. Satan, the deceiver. It's interesting to me that in the early pages of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 13, Eve is defending herself before God. Right? Why did you take of the fruit? What did you do? Uh, Genesis 3 and verse 13, And the Lord God said to the woman, What is it that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. It's the devil's fault. Now today we use the same saying sometimes, Well, the devil made me do it. Devil didn't make you do it. If you're a born again believer, I want to tell you something. The devil can't make you do anything. Nothing. You volunteer. You accept. You decide. And if you can decide to do it, you can decide not to do it. And so let us understand where these things come from. I'm not belittling the idea that, that you have reasons why addictions have occurred in your life. What I'm trying to say to you is quit using them as excuses. That's where it has to begin. Every addiction is the result of, and again, this is, I'm not trying to belittle it all, but it's the result of the loss of self-control. Now let me deal with this for a minute because scripturally this is important. Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 22, we read this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Now listen to this one. Self-control. Against such there is no law. Self-control. What tends to happen in our life is we let ourselves go. What tends to happen is we say, oh, it's okay. We believe somehow, and, and by the way, I, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but having studied this subject out a lot lately because of this particular message, um, addictions are on the increase among God's people, uh, not just among God's people, but in culture itself. And it largely due to even some of the polls and surveys that are taken say that people who participate in them show much less guilt today than ever before. Now, guilt is the word that the world uses and it was used in a poll that I read from Barna Research, but ultimately what it amounts to is less conviction. You see, conviction and guilt are two different things, and let me, let me stipulate what these are. Guilt is what the devil brings to your life because he wants you to feel bad. And so here's what he does. He comes over, young people, with your friends, and he introduces you to some kind of junk that's going to ruin your life. And you say, okay, I'll do it. Then you go do it, and he tells the world that you've done it and makes you feel horrible that you were found out and you were discovered. Guilt. Conviction, on the other hand, is very interesting. It is different in the sense that guilt makes you feel terrible but offers no solution. Conviction breaks your heart and pricks your heart but offers a solution. Here's what you need to do. You need to get it right with God. You need to go sit down with God and talk to God about David. He saw, he coveted, he took. Psalm 51, against thee, O Lord, and thee only have I sinned. 
He knew how to repent. He knew how to get it right. So the loss of self-control. I have, uh, let me say this to you and then I'll move on with the next point. I, I've often thought about um, the word we use for things that we call addictions. The word dependence, dependencies. Have you thought about that for just a minute? Does God, would God ever want any of his people to be dependent on anything other than him? On anything other than him? And so I ask you to consider that as I move into the outcome of addictions. And as I do so, I want to remind you, James chapter 4 and verse number 7 in reference to our foe, the enemy. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. There is a time there when temptation comes. The Bible tells us there is no temptation taking you but such as is common to man. God has already decided that you are able to take care of that matter. And he will, with the temptation, provide a way of escape. So look for the escape route. Always look for for the escape route because God said I'll provide it it'll be there you don't have to do it overcoming the addictions John Owen author is quoted as having said it is vain to contend with anything that hath the power of our affections and its disposal it will prevail at the last I, I read something I thought was interesting um, as I was doing some research online I came across a forum of uh, people who had dealt with addictions of different kinds. And this happened to be a woman who had dealt with an addiction to meth for 15 years of her life. And she began her, her paragraph by saying this, that she was a meth addict for 15 years of her life and she was about to have a baby. And she went to church and she got saved. And she followed the Lord in baptism and she grew in her faith and she was able to set down that drug. And it's a, it was a great first portion, listen to me, first portion of, of the testimony was awesome. And, and she began to talk about how she'd had victory over this stuff. But she had a husband. And the husband was addicted to, and in the paragraph it said, addicted to weed. And so here he was smoking weed. And, and, and he decides he's going to go to church, but he never gives up his habit. You continue reading that paragraph, it was sad. Because of his addiction, she could not fully escape the drug issue and went back to meth. They ended up divorcing. She's trying to raise a, a three-year-old son in the paragraph that was there and she's looking for some sort of a recovery support group that can help her out. And thank God for support groups that are out there. And sometimes that's what it requires. You say, what are you getting at, preacher? I'm trying to tell you that the outcome is always bad. There is never a good outcome of any addiction. Never. Never. We may think that what we do is not as bad as what other people do. It's all destructive. You may think that gossiping is not very destructive, but it is. It's assassinating someone's character. You may think that gambling is not a problem if you give the Lord your winnings. <laughs> I've heard people say that. But gambling is a real problem. It's a real issue. You may think that alcohol is not an issue, that you can do it and it doesn't bother you. Proverbs chapter 23 deals with the addiction of alcohol, by the way. Proverbs 23, beginning in verse 31. Do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it swirls around smoothly. Remember what we talked about? I saw, I coveted, I took. It's the attraction of that. I went into Longhorn down here the other day. Uh, I, I enjoy their, their grilled chicken. But you got to pick up your meal at the bar. So if you ever see your pastor at the bar at Longhorn, <laughs> he's not ordering a drink, he's getting some grilled chicken. All right? But in front of you is this magnificent display. The colors are incredible. I mean, it is awesome. It really is. The problem is it's so deceptive. While it is beautiful, it is horribly destructive. Everything in every one of those bottles. Destructive. 
So the Bible says, don't look on the wine when it is red, it sparkles in the cup, swirls around smoothly. At the last, it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart will utter perverse things. Yes, you will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea or like one who lies at the top of the mast saying, they have struck me, but I was not hurt. They have beaten me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake that I may seek another drink? Addiction. Addiction. You say, well, preacher, you can't prove biblically that alcohol is wrong. I don't need to argue if alcohol is wrong. Because the Bible says you're not supposed to lay a stumbling block before anybody. I will argue that it is a stumbling block. Now that one you can't argue. You can try, but you'd look like that guy that gave his kid a drink as an idiot. I mean, it just ain't working. You say, what are you saying, preacher? I'm saying this, that, that the whole idea is that, that, that if we think that our society and people do not struggle with alcohol and it doesn't cause death and it doesn't cause physical problems and it doesn't cause addictions, if you think that is the case, you're grossly mistaken. Someone said, one drink doesn't make an alcoholic. Every alcoholic has begun with one drink. Adrian Rogers made this statement in reference to that very thought. You cannot be bitten by a snake you never come in contact with. Yeah. Best thing in the world for us to do is learn to abstain. The best thing in the world is learn. You can't be bitten by a snake that you don't come in contact with. And yet we put ourselves sometimes in contact. Now I'm not picking just on alcohol. I think this is true of any addiction. According to our local Channel 4 News in Jacksonville here, overdoses of drugs in 2016 last year, they were up, listen to this figure, 72% over the year before. 72% over the year before. We've had services in this very building for some of those. In Duval County alone, there were 345 deaths due to overdose and drugs. Most of them were heroin related. Fentanyl. A synthetic heroin was the blame for many. You say, what are you getting now? I'm talking about reality, ladies and gentlemen. I'm talking about not only illegal drugs, I'm talking about prescription drugs. I'm talking about anything that has taken us away and, and we've become addicted to and we have lost our self-control over and now all of a sudden we are serving it. Yeah. Statistics show that alcohol and marijuana are the most abused substances. But fentanyl is the most deadly. Some say, well, it's a disease. And I do know that that is a topic that is, is controversial, but I came across this. I wanted to read it to you. The medical disease model and 12-step recovery program dominate both the discussion and the response to addictions. There is one problem, this particular doctor says, one problem, this is Dr. Sam Williams, by the way, who wrote this, and it was published in an article for Lifeway, which is the publication arm of the Southern Baptist Convention. He said, there's one problem with the medical disease model, however, the cause of the disease has never been identified. There is no gene or virus or bacteria or metabolic deficiency or uh, neuropathology that has been conclusively proven to be the cause of any addiction. Do addictions have a disease like cancer uh, or diabetes? Or is disease only a metaphor for sin sickness and the devastation that follows, he asks. Dr. Sam Williams. I understand uh, and it's a serious matter. And I, and I understand nobody wants to... Uh, to uh, uh, make anyone feel bad about where they're at, and I don't mean to do that. I, I want you to get to where you need to be for victory in your life. I don't want you to feel wormy and, and discouraged. I want you to know you can be on the mountaintop again. I want you to know that you can have victory. I want you to know that God himself called you more than a conqueror, and you can be that. We can be that. Proverbs chapter 25 and verse 28 Whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. 
When we lose that self-control, we become vulnerable. When we don't stand up, when we don't put on the armor of God, whether you're a young person or, or uh, a young adult or, or a senior saint for that matter, when you get to that point that you lose self-control, the Bible says you're, you're like that city that is broken down and without walls. You have no defense. If you have ever felt yourself that way, then put on the armor of God and understand what he says. There's some real problems that occur. We're talking about destructive behavior. We're talking about the outcome is always destructive. And we read in the scripture, 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 18, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Now what the Bible is saying is there's something going on internally when we get ourselves involved in sexual sin. I was amazed at this statistic, as some of you may be, I don't know, you may have heard it before. Barna Research did a survey among church-going men, church-going men, 47% of them said pornography is a problem in their home. 47%, that's one out of two said it's a problem. Now, are we to assume that we don't have that problem in this church? Are we to assume, but 47% of every other church out there has that problem. <laughs> I'm just being real. And we need to be real. Because whether the person next to you knows it or not, doesn't matter. God knows. He's aware. Here's the thing. You, you're trying to make me feel guilty. No, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm trying to get you to get that thing right. I'm begging, I'm pleading, I'm asking the Holy Spirit to deal with it because I don't know. I don't have any clue. This may be only for the people watching it through the internet. Only you guys watching online. I don't know. 62% of teenagers, 62% of teenagers have either sent or received an explicit image or text known as sexting, 62%. If you think it doesn't happen regularly and even in youth meetings or in church, God knows. God knows. You say, what are you getting at? I'm, I'm telling you, it's destructive. It will destroy you from the inside out. Sheila Ray Gregory, I came across an article that she wrote about the dangers and destruction of pornography. She made this statement, and the opening remark caught my attention. Pornography is ravaging marriages, she said. In our culture, porn is treated as if it's harmless. But it's not, she said. Porn will wreck the arousal process in your brain and end up wrecking your sex life in marriage. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, it's a, it's a problem. And, and people are using it in all kinds of ways. And because we believe somehow that the culture is accepting certain things, then we begin to accept it as usual and as normal. And you say things like, well, everybody does this. No, they don't. No, they don't. And no, they shouldn't. Now, in a sense, by the way, if you feel, I came across a saying I want to share with you. If you feel like, man, just leave me alone. You're making me want to go out and get an addiction. <laughs> and don't think the devil won't do that. Amen. Everything seems to come against you. Maybe even now you're feeling threatened and discouraged. I came across a saying by Henry Ford. He said, when everything seems to be going against you, remember that the airplane takes off against the wind, not with it. So as the winds blow, man, take a ride and go closer to God and, and don't let it drive you away. Just, just understand that this is all about getting right with the Lord and trusting Him and being delivered. Let me deal with the overcoming of addictions. In a sense, what we've done is we've built a moderate-sized porch and a fairly good-sized house, but now we're going to build a large addition on the back in this message. 
I'm gonna talk to you about overcoming addictions. To do this, I wanna give you six questions that we have to answer. You wanna overcome addictions? These are six things we've gotta ask, we've gotta deal with, we gotta answer somehow. And I wanna give these to you, we'll go through them, talk about some scripture. Uh, let's begin with uh, number one here, the question is, we call the realization question. And by that we mean, do I realize I have a problem? Do I realize that I have a problem? You know, some people have not reached that point yet. I read a statement that was often quoted by Zig Ziglar, but is attributed to Karl Barth, and it says this. Though no one can go back and make a brand new start, anyone can start from now and make a brand new ending. So I ask you, do you realize that you even have a problem? If you don't, that's where we need to start. 1 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Verse 2 says, Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. You see, here's what happens sometimes in our life. Whether you're a young person or whether you're an older person, we kind of get this uh, calloused heart. Maybe there was a time that God pricked your heart and it didn't take much. Maybe there was a time when your conscience was, was uh, just uh, set on edge just from the work of the Holy Spirit kind of lightly. But then over a period of time, when we do certain things and we repeat certain things and we hide certain things and we become more cleverly deceptive about certain things, before too long, we begin to develop a coldness and a harshness, a calloused conscience. I want you to think about that for just a minute. Because unless we realize we have a problem, unless we're willing to present ourselves before God and say, God, what I really need to know is what you think not what I think. Amen. We're not going to get anywhere. We're just going to keep coming to church. I hope you do. Maybe not after today. But if you keep coming to church and, and saying, you know, I, I'll deal with it later. Or it's really not my problem. It's everybody else's problem. As long as that's the case, we all know you're not going to get anywhere. Forget about the victory if that be the case. Amen. The realization question pricks our conscience that has been seared. We could ask it this way. Will you let God through will you let him through will you listen to him the second question we'll call the recognition question and by that I mean do we see our addiction the way God sees it do I recognize it as God does first John chapter 1 verse 9 many of you are familiar with the text what you may not be familiar with is what the word confess actually means in this text Verse 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The word confess in that text does not mean, as we sometimes think it does, that, that it's an a, 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 a audible profession. Like when you confess Jesus, you speak that Jesus is your Savior. You, you say something. What that word actually means is that you are in agreement with God over. So let me ask you something, young people. It really doesn't matter, does it, what all your friends think, what they're doing at school, what they're doing in the community. What, listen, adults, it really doesn't matter what the popular thinking is among whatever generation you're in. It really doesn't matter that the devil has convinced most of us that, that we are an exception to the rule, that what's going on in our life is so different than what everybody else is dealing with. It's okay for us to do what we do. None of that really matters. You know what really matters? It doesn't matter what the preacher thinks. Somebody say amen. amen. It does not matter. But what does matter is what God thinks. It's what God thinks. If we confess our sin, he said, if you agree with God about it. So what is God's opinion? What is his opinion? The recognition question. Number three is the reigning question. 
The reigning question, if you want to fill it in, do I understand that sin can no longer reign in my life? This is very important, ladies and gentlemen. I'm telling you, it, it, it is of such importance that we grasp. And I do want to deal with this before I read Romans 6, verse 12 to you. So bear with me a moment. I, I want to say to you that, that I'm, not, I, I'm not suggesting here that every addiction can simply be overcome by willpower. That's not what I'm saying. I do know that there are some rehabs that are needed. I do know that there is some rehabilitation. I do know that sometimes the body requires some things to go through. I do know that you need to seek the help sometimes of, of medical professionals. I do understand that. But it starts with a decision. It starts in our minds to the point that we say this is what I understand, that sin cannot reign in my life. You never have to say that you are under its bondage. You never have to say that you have to do anything, that the devil made you do anything. Romans 6 verse 12 says, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. Let, do not let. What the Bible's saying is you actually give it permission. So let's begin by denying it access. Let's begin by saying no more. Dethrone that addiction. Amen. It cannot reign in your life. If Jesus Christ reigns, he's the only one that can reign. Let him reign. The reliance question is number four. And it sounds something like this. Am I relying on Jesus and his strength to overcome this addiction? Am I relying on Jesus and his strength to overcome this addiction? Philippians 4.13, it's uh, perhaps my favorite Bible verse. I can do all things, but it doesn't stop there, does it? Through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You say, I don't have the strength to give up my addiction. You're right. You're on the right track too. That's good. So where do you get the strength? From Christ. Now you're developing a good type of dependency. Amen? Amen. <laughs> Through Christ who strengthens me. Then there's the repentance question. Repentance is a word that's not used much today. Matter of fact, a lot of what I'm saying today is not too popular. The repentance question. Have I decided to change direction and turn away from my addiction? Have I decided to change direction? That's what the word repent means. It's to turn, away, to turn away, to turn toward something else. Literally, when we got saved, we turned away from a world of sin and we turned toward Jesus Christ. That's what we did. Amen. And, and when we repent over sin, what it requires is this choice that we make in our life that we're going to turn away from an addiction toward something else. And it's very important. Have we changed direction? John chapter 8 records a passage of scripture where there is a woman. We could call her a sex addict. I believe that. I think that's accurate. Verse number four says, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Remember that story? They bring this woman out. I mean, man, she was caught in adultery in the very act. Verse 10 says, When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has, has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. But that's not all he said. It didn't stop there. It didn't just stop with, I forgive you. He said, now go. Don't do it anymore. Change your direction. Change your life. Make up your mind that it is one thing to confess that you have sinned against God. It is another thing to repent and turn away from it. I don't do that anymore. I don't travel that way any more. That is the past and the past is over. I can't do anything about it, but I can change the ending. The repentance question. And then number six, I think this is one that's often left out, particularly in our spiritual realm. The replacement question. Have I replaced the negative habit with a positive habit? This is an important point, I believe. Because sometimes it is in the idleness of no longer doing what you were doing that draws you back and gives you an opportunity to go back and do the wrong stuff again 
And inevitably, people who are sitting here today or people who are listening to this through the, the, uh, the podcast or through the internet, uh, there, there, someone can say, you know, I've tried before to give that up and I've not done it successfully. Well, uh, try again and replace it with something positive. The Bible actually uses the word addicted in the Old English, devoted in the New King James. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 15, I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanos, that it is the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves, Old English, that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. The old saying used to be, I believe it was Bob Jones Sr. who was credited with it, do that which is right so fast you don't have time to do that which is wrong. Amen? I'm telling you, it works. It works. My dad, for many years, uh, smoked. He was a chain smoker. Marlboro. Don't amen that. (laughs) When I was a little boy, I'd see him smoke, and I took a puff of one cigarette one time, like to die. That was it. That was my experience. Thought I was going to go see Jesus. Never had a desire. I got pneumonia when I was a kid and dad put down the cigarettes. He was worried about me and so he gave them up. He was one of those that actually sat them down, never touched them again. He didn't wean off in any kind of patches, none of that junk back in those days. It was just done. He gave them up and that was it. I wish I could tell you it had a lot of spiritual connotation to it. But I'll tell you this, over the years as I watched my dad, he always wore shirts with pockets in the front, two pockets up front, love pockets. He had stuff everywhere in those pockets. But in this one over his heart... He kept a roll of butter rum lifesavers all the time. Man, I was a kid. They got me out of a lot of trouble. Broke off one, give it to me. I was misbehaving in church. Yeah, it's true. I did. (laughs) Butter rum lifesavers. I asked him one time as I got older. I said, Dad, why do you always? He said, you know something, son? He said, said, throughout, I'd reach for my cigarettes. That's where I kept my cigarettes. And he said, instead of, I'd feel for my cigarette. He'd try to pull one out, and then he'd pull out those lifesavers, and he'd, he'd eat those instead. Now, it's a simple illustration, but my point is this. Replace the bad habit with something positive, something good. He did lose his teeth, by the way, but we won't go there. First Corinthians chapter 6, let me read to you a minute. Verse number 9, I'm going to let you out in just a sec, okay? Hang on, hang on, hang on. Verse number 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, homosexuals, or sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Now verse 12 is very important. Listen to verse 12. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Paul said, look, I'm not going to argue with you if Jesus ever made fermented wine. I'm not going to argue with you about whether it's prescription stuff. I'm not going to argue with you. You know what the point is? I will not be brought under the power of any. Whether it's okay or it's not okay, I will not be brought under the power of any. Should that not be our spirit? I'm going to ask you to think about something now. And I'm going to broaden this a little bit. so, So listen carefully. You were given a card. That card is called a surrender card. There is no place for a name on it. Nobody wants your name. As a matter of fact, I will never see these. No one will ever see these. And if you hide real good, your neighbor won't see you right on it. (laughs) And I'm going to ask you to do this. I'm going to ask you, and I want to broaden this a little with you, so listen carefully, okay? If you yourself are dealing with an addiction, if you yourself are dealing with a, 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 a subject, maybe it's a sin, maybe it's not an addiction, Maybe it is. Write that thing on there. And then I'm going to ask you to do this. In the invitation time, in just a minute. This basket is is not for the snakes. It's for those papers. And so here's what we're going to ask you to do. Write it and then crumple it all up. And and in the invitation time, I'm going to ask you to come. And I want you to pray 
and I want you to drop it in this basket. And this is what we're going to do when this service is over. We have some firemen in our church and they're helping us out, thank the Lord. On the outside of this foyer area, there's a fire pit. We're going to take these things and we're going to burn them. Symbolizing we are offering them to God. We are giving them to God. They're no longer ours. Now maybe you don't have one yourself. But you have a family member or a dear friend who does. I would ask you in a private type way. Write their name in the corner. No one's going to see it. And their thing that you're praying for them about, crumple it up and bring it on their behalf. It doesn't do the same thing as a decision they will make. But I cannot see any harm in offering that thing and praying for them. So I would encourage you to do that. Now during this invitation, in just a minute, I'm going to ask you to stand with me. And I'm going to ask you to do something a little different than sometimes we do. Sometimes we lift our heads and we sing. I'm not asking you to sing. Matter of fact, I'm asking you not to lift your head. I'm asking you not to pay a bit of attention to who comes to the altar and prays or who throws anything in that basket. I'm going to ask you if you don't feel led to come, that you just sit there with your head down and you're praying or you stand there with your head down and you're praying. Because what's about to go on, it can be literally life-altering and life-changing. And I'm going to ask you to pray for people who make this decision. I'm going to ask you to be bold enough. Bold enough. To give it to God today. That doesn't mean you don't have to seek other help. It doesn't mean that there's not a, other programs you might need to find. Support groups. That's not what it means. It just means that it's a start. That you say this is my decision. I've gone through these questions in my mind. And I realize I need to give this thing to God. That's what it is. You know, now you got a question. You say preacher. What if I fail? I was riding my bike along the beach the other day. I, I, I love the ocean. I'm so glad to be close to it again. There's no ocean near Dallas. I was riding my bike down the beach and there was a young boy, about eight, nine years old, something like that. And he had one of those skim boards. And it must have been new. He'd take it and he'd throw it along the bit of water that was there and he ran and he jumped on it and he face planted. Boom! And as I'm riding down, the, I'm watching him and he does it a second time. He picks it up, tosses it out, runs, same identical thing. Boom! And he got up and he did it again. And by the time I passed, he had tried it three or four times and he wasn't quitting. And that's what I'm asking you to do. Don't quit. You say, I tried it and I face plant, then do it again. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that a righteous man falls seven times and gets right back up. So fall down, but get back up. You say, I've tried before and I've fallen. It's okay. Try again. One of these times you're going to find yourself just gliding along. Enjoying. Enjoying what God has for you. Would you stand with me? Father, we come to you today, Lord. And I just believe, God, I just believe you've spoken to our hearts. I just believe there are things we need to give up. There are things that maybe, maybe we've not yet really gotten involved in yet. Maybe we're on the verge of it becoming an addiction. So I pray for the young people. I pray for the adults. I pray, God, for every person that's listening to this. Maybe they're even listening online. God, I pray they would do this even at home. Give to you, Lord, right now, whatever it is. That we might offer that to you. That we'd write it down and crumple it up and throw it in this bin. And that we'd spend a moment that we'd tarry in prayer. And then return to our seats and go out from this place in the freedom and the victory of our faith. In Jesus' name. While heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if you would please keep your heads bowed unless you're coming, of course, to the altar to pray or to drop in that piece of paper. May God bless you as you make your decision. Don't wait on anybody else. This is between you and God. Nobody's watching you. You come as God leads.